most healthcare professionals who are having conversations with people about the vaccine, just as an example, we're learning that, you know, it, it starts with curiosity and we're having to abandon any assumptions that we have and really just sit and ask questions. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Wharton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. In May 2016, Jim Ryan, who was then dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Education, was viral in a good way. His commencement address on five essential questions in life was everywhere and with good reason. He asked the graduating students to take a pause and ask a simple question. Wait, what? Once they'd allowed themselves to admit not knowing something or maybe even being a little surprised by something and encourage them to take a moment with that feeling, to think about where it might take them next. Think, he said, I wonder, couldn't we at least? How can I help? And finally, what truly matters? It was a deceptively simple list of questions, a delightful curiosity practice, if I might say so, but also a potent tool for challenging the status quo, for pushing against complacency, for daring to focus on what truly matters most. I have been reminded of Jim Ryan and his wait what in the last two years as our collective and evolving circumstances have demanded so much rethinking. We've had to become much clearer for ourselves and in our communities about what truly matters. So I have also found myself longing to talk with Dr. Nicole Rochester, founder and CEO of Your GPS Doc. Dr. Rochester trained and practiced as a pediatrician until her own experience as a caregiver for her ill father prompted a change of direction and she became a healthcare advocate. She's a champion of health equity, and provides consulting services to healthcare organizations that are committed to eliminating health disparities and improving quality of care. Hers was one of the last Choose to be Curious interviews to air in what I think of as the before times. We recorded in December of 2019, and our lovely, thoughtful conversation about bringing curiosity to healthcare advocacy aired February 19th, 2020. In those days, certainly we were in the throes of the Trump era anti-science and all manner of culture wars, but in hindsight, that was nothing compared to what was coming. It was before COVID outed the dirty secret of radical racial health care disparities in this country, before anti-mask, anti-vax, and other I-do-my-own-research rhetoric cost literally hundreds of thousands of lives. And before the murders of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, among so many others, and and Black Lives Matter, similarly blew the lid off this country's carefully but barely camouflaged white supremacy and systemic racism, just in case anyone wasn't paying attention. For a lot of well-informed, well-meaning whites, myself regrettably sometimes included, it was a whole lot of, wait, what? which is what brought me back to Dr. Rochester. I wanted to know, what was she thinking about health equity now? What what about the inherent tension between wanting patients to be engaged and curious about their health care 
as we had discussed before, and the scary rabbit holes to which so much I did my own research seemed to lead, or the current state and future direction of what can only be described as medical racism. How had these two years changed her thinking about how curiosity does, could, should show up? So I asked her to come back in hopes that we would explore these questions together, and I'm delighted she said yes. So welcome back, Dr. Rochester. Thank you so much, Lynn. I am really looking forward to this conversation, and it's an honor to be back. Well, I'm really pleased that that you wanted to come back. And, you know, before we before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about even just asking the question, how are you? And I wanted to ask you to share the story that you shared with me then, because I think we ask this question differently now. And you had something really great to say about that. Sure. Yeah, I was sharing with you that my pastor has been kind of unpacking a video that we've been watching in Bible study. And there are two questions that have been asked and the importance of distinguishing between these two questions. And the questions are, how are you versus how are you doing? Yeah. We've been talking about, you know, the how are you is your state of being and the how are you doing is the state of doing. What activities are you doing? And we often conflate those. And we often answer them uh, inaccurately and inauthentically. You know, it made me think also, this was a conversation you were having in the context of your faith community, but I'm also thinking that for medical providers, whether the last two years have in any way sort of changed how they ask that question and whether you think that there are effective, reliable strategies used within your profession to get at useful answers to that question, because how they ask will really have an impact on what they get back, right? That's absolutely true. That's such a great question, Lynn. I I would imagine that, and we probably talked about this in our first interview, uh, in our first conversation, but these conversations require time, and yeah. there's such a time limitation in these medical encounters. And particularly now there are even additional layers and barriers related to COVID and, you know, even just the wearing of a mask and all of the things that further separate the doctors from the patients. So I doubt that these deep conversations about how patients are doing are actually occurring. But I think it's important for healthcare professionals when they're asking patients how are they or how are they doing to really make sure that it's in the context of their everyday lives? Mm-hmm. Or how are you faring in your everyday life? Are there things that you wish you could do that you're unable to do? Are there activities that you are unable to carry out? And those are conversations that I honestly don't happen often in the examination yeah. room. Yeah. You know, as I thought about this conversation, I realized that for me, it really did boil down to what I suspected would be our changing ideas about curiosity, maybe, or curiosity practices as a, as a cumulative consequence of the last two years. And I mean, do you think that there have been changes? And if so, what kind of changes might you have seen? 
Certainly, when I think about curiosity practices in the context of COVID, I I'm, I think about what you alluded to, this I did my own research, and mm-hmm. certainly been a lot of curiosity around the vaccines, around how the vaccines were manufactured, what's in the vaccines. I mean, to a degree that I have never seen as a medical professional, you know, there has been there's been a lot of scrutiny placed on this the vaccines and how they've been developed. And it's not to say that that's a bad thing, but unfortunately that scrutiny and this curiosity has kind of turned on itself and it's led to a huge degree of mistrust, which has led to a lack of confidence in the vaccinations and, you know, individuals who are choosing to be vulnerable and and feeling deeply in their hearts that their decision not to get a vaccination is actually protecting their health and that there are more risks associated with being vaccinated than not being vaccinated. Um, Unfortunately, these curiosity practices have also led to huge disinformation campaigns and misinformation campaigns. And I have been really floored by the degree to which we are vulnerable as a nation to the erroneous information that is floating around and how so many individuals and groups of individuals have chosen to focus and and believe those who have absolutely no medical knowledge, (laughs) no scientific knowledge, no background over the, the voices of reputable scientists and physicians and other healthcare professionals. Yeah. So what's a good healthcare provider to do in the face of that? Oh, you know, it goes back to those conversations and building camaraderie and establishing rapport. And in many ways, Lynn, I think that this has exposed some of the brokenness of medicine, particularly as it relates to that doctor-patient relationship. Mm -hmm. I think many Mm -hmm. of us have relied on the fact that just because we have an MD or a DO after our names, and because we have all this expertise and knowledge that our patients and their families and communities would naturally trust us, that we have somehow earned trust just by virtue of our training and education. And certainly the COVID-19 pandemic has shown that that is absolutely not the case and that it takes more than knowledge and expertise to build trust, that it is about relationships and authenticity. And because the healthcare industry has failed so many people, we've earned the mistrust and and that's just the hard truth of it. And and now we have to figure out a way to gain and regain trust. Wow. You know, and I was saying that I had been sort of stalking you lately, listening to your interviews elsewhere in the last two years. And uh, one that I listened to recently, I think you had this line, but somebody spoke about healthcare being a microcosm of the macrocosm. And the Distrust then in healthcare is um, is really kind of a reflection of the distrust nationally. It feels like and and finding ways to sort of rebuild that that's pretty daunting. <laughs> <laughs> it's very daunting. It, it's very daunting. But I think that what many of us have learned, you know, those of us, and that's most healthcare professionals who are having conversations with people about the vaccine, just as an example, we're learning that, you know, it it starts with curiosity and we're having to abandon any assumptions that we have about why someone 
is reluctant to be vaccinated and really just sit and ask questions. You know, what is it that you're afraid of? What is it that has prevented you from getting it thus far? And even now, even in 2022, where we think all of the information is there, anyone that hasn't made a decision by now just surely has no chance of ever being vaccinated. And we're finding that that's actually still not true. Yeah. And, and it requires, you know, one-on-one conversations. I mean, we have to do the mass communications campaigns and all those things, but these one-on-one conversations are the way that you really get that inside look into what matters to the, the individual and maybe some mindset blocks or some small pieces of misinformation that they've held on to over the last year or two. Most doctors are comfortable with patients and families asking questions, but I think with this pandemic, it's been the tone behind mm. the questions and and just the um, the vitriol that has come along with the curiosity. I think that's been the most difficult. Yeah, yeah. I wanna shift gears a little bit because of course the pandemic, particularly early on, was having these wildly disproportionate impacts in communities of color. And, and it really did begin to lay bare all sorts of things that people like yourself knew, but lots of other people didn't know. And I'm wondering what you think are the, the most important takeaways from that for us as a um, as a country, I mean, in the United States, I won't try to just speak to a larger context, but here in the United States, are there takeaways, and let's bring it back to curiosity, that that help us be more curious about our medical establishment or how people intersect with the healthcare industry? Absolutely. I think that when it comes to health disparities, one of the most important questions that we need to continuously ask is why. And so if I reflect back to my medical education, when I was a medical student in the mid nineties, we were regularly told in our lectures about the disparities. Uh, We were told that black people had higher rates of hypertension. Black people were more likely to die from heart disease. Black people were more likely to have strokes, all these horrible statistics. And and literally that was the end of the sentence. There was an implication and there continues to be an implication for some that this is somehow related to biology, you know, some type of genetic inferiority, or if you don't believe that some believe, well, it's just because, you know, black people don't take care of themselves. And if only black people ate better or exercised more. And so this, this idea, this practice of asking why, why is it that in our country, black and brown people are more likely to have worse outcomes when it comes to their health. And the reason for that is structural racism. The reason for that is that in our country, opportunities, whether it be education, whether it be access to quality healthcare, income, you know, all of those things, clean water to drink, you know, safe, safe places to exercise, Uh, access to fresh fruits and vegetables, livable wages, all of these things in our country are distributed along racial lines. And and that was very intentional. And those systems that have been in place really since the founding of our country 
um, continue to uphold all of our systems. And so when you begin to ask why and go beyond just citing the statistics, you begin to understand why we have these differences or these disparities or inequities in outcomes. And then once you begin to understand why they exist, then the next step is how do we begin to dismantle these systems so that we can truly create equitable outcomes for everyone. Um, so it involves a recognition of social determinants of health mm -hmm. and understanding that our outcomes are much more largely determined by the environments in which we live than the care that we receive within the four walls of a doctor's office or a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly why I think I, I found myself going back to Jim Ryan's five questions because the response in medical school should have been, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because that very thing is, is, you know, stopping and going, wait, what? I mean, it's even more than just why it's just, how could that be? Right. And I, I feel like a lot of what's happened in the last two years is, has truly been a, wait, what? No, that's not okay. And then to his next questions about, well, I wonder what else is possible or couldn't we at least do, can we, can we get the ball moving in some way? And his final question is this, you know, what truly matters? And that feels to me what that feels like the underpinning of your work, right? And and I wonder how how you're finding that expressed. I mean, are you are you talking about it differently? Are you thinking about that differently as a result of these last two years? I would say yes. What truly matters is that everyone has access to quality health care. I mean, it's really that simple and that there are absolutely no barriers that prevent individuals from achieving their best health. What truly matters is that we all have access to justice, you know, in, in the court system, in the legal system, that we all have access to quality education. I mean, it, you know, we're a country that supposedly has been founded on equality and, you know, justice for all and and, and, you know, I think right now we're in a place where we're learning that that's, that's just not true. And, and it's a hard pill to swallow. And that's why there are efforts to suppress that knowledge. But it really is the truth. And, and I still believe that we have the potential to be the amazing country that we set out to be in, our, in those founding documents. But it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take learning and also unlearning. And I've been doing a lot of unlearning as I start to unpack some of the things that I was taught in medical school, some of the things that I've been exposed to, you know, as regards to um, structural racism and, and bias, things that none of us are immune to. And, and just being open to that experience, really questioning, why do I believe the things that I believe? You know, is this really true? And, and just being open to delving deeper and, and unlearning things so that we can kind of relearn. Mm. I think that's actually such an important point about kind of needing to maintain, you know, we talk about sort of the learning edge and I'm, you know, I'm learning new things, but, but sometimes that learning edge needs to cut back on itself and unlearn <laughs> some things. And I'm, 
So let me ask you the miracle question. If tomorrow we woke up and medical racism, systemic racism was had magically disappeared completely from the landscape, what do you think is the first thing that we would notice that was different? Wow. Oh my gosh, that is a that's a wonderful question. The first thing that we would notice. I think the first thing that we would notice is that there would be um equal representation or at least, you know, representation proportionate to the population so that we wouldn't go into an institution and see a wall of CEOs and executives, and they're all white men, you know, mm-hmm. just as one example. So yeah, I think representation would be one of the first things because we know that right now, the fact that those spaces of power are largely occupied occupied by white people and specifically white men is not because their abilities are better or because they're smarter or, you know, it's really because of uh, act, intentional acts that have kept other individuals who are well-qualified from being there, not having a seat at the table, being invited, but not really being included. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the first things that, yeah. that we would know. I, I, I love that answer. I mean, that's an impossible question, right? But I, <laughs> sorry, um, but I think it's an important one because it forces us to think about, well, what, what would be so immediately evident that that we would know something was really, really different. And I think it's important because it goes back to this curiosity question of what am I seeing, not seeing, you know, around me that, that is an indicator of the systems that need changing of the things that need unlearning. So thank you for taking a shot at, at, you know, kind of a miracle question. Cause I think it's, I mean, I don't know that you and I live to see it, but I feel like so long as we're pushing in that direction in a conscious way, that's a good thing. I agree. Yeah. So we're running out of time, but before I let you go, will you do my big jar of wannabe analogies with me again? Absolutely. Oh, good. Oh, good. So you know how this works. I have this jar, slips of paper. We're going to make an analogy to curiosity, one for you, one for me, one for the audience. So yours is, <laughs> I was curiosity like a tow truck. Um, mine is a house plant. There's a COVID informed one. Um, and then I have one for the audience. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go? Uh, I'll have you go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so um, mine is, how is curiosity like a house plant? Um, I'm going to say curiosity is like a house plant because... It does require some basic nurturing, it, you know, sunlight and water, but it can grow even in very contained places. Um, and it adds life to our interiors in a way that I think we have really valued actually in the last two years. <laughs> so how is curiosity like a tow truck? Wow. These are always so good. I would say that curiosity is like a tow truck in the sense that, you know, I picture a tow truck carrying heavy items. And I think that curiosity requires heavy lifting. 
it, it really requires us to do the hard work. And I think that a tow truck has, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a hard work. That's hard work <laughs> for a tow truck to do. But I also think of, you know, when I think of a tow truck or when I see a tow truck on the side of the road, it's usually because something, uh, you know, some piece of equipment has broken down. And you and I have been talking about really broken systems and the need to fix these systems. And I think that one of the key ways that we are going to begin to fix these broken systems, whether it's healthcare, whether it's our educational system, are really going to delve, are really going to come down to curiosity practice and asking that, wait, what? And asking (laughs) why and um, really unlearning and uncovering and unpacking so that we can rebuild something that's even better. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Um, and audience, yours is trolley car. How is curiosity like a trolley car? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Dr. Rochester, thank you so much for this. It's been great having you back. Thank you for having me back. This has been a wonderful conversation. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM Radio Arlington. Find us online at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous shows online as well at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on social media at choosetobecurious. Don't forget to send us your trolley car analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my delightful guest, Dr. Nicole Rochester. Check out links to my GPS doc on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And you're listening to Rabbit Hole by Love and Weasel via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com.